The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into our Bible study. You can turn to John chapter 4. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love for us, and we pray now that you would open our hearts as we prepare to hear from you um, your message for us today and how we can apply it to our life. In your name we pray. Amen. For those of you who have not been with us, uh, we want to welcome you to the story as told through one of Jesus' close friends, uh, a guy named John, who was one of the disciples of Jesus. And we are on this journey for however long it takes. We are today and uh, closing up chapter 4. And um, the story so far has been beautiful. John, the person writing this book, has introduced us to Jesus And the whole purpose driving everything he's written in the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the fourth uh, in the Gospels in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift. Uh, Just raise your hand and our ushers will bring one to you. Uh, And if you are a note taker, uh, I found this cool tool this year uh, called the Scripture Journal. Basically, every book of the Bible is provided and every other sheet is blank with room for notes. So a number of you got these uh, on Easter Sunday when we started this journey. And uh, so we're going to continue where we left off, John chapter 4. So where we've been so far in this journey with Jesus is that Jesus was introduced to us as the God in flesh. He who created everything stepped into his creation and became one of us. The message version says that he moved into our neighborhood. And and that is exactly what he did. God is not just some distant being, removed, uh, created the universe, wound it up, put it in motion, and went on about his, his, his business. He is a God that's intimately involved in the everyday details of our life. And Jesus came and became flesh to connect with us in a way that had not yet happened. And he came for one purpose to be born, to one day die in our place, offering up his life as a sacrifice, allowing his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And John, as we read the last part of the book first, told us that everything that John written, he wrote for one purpose, that we might believe in Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so... What Jesus has been doing in in a systematically way is he's been going about uh, the region, dismantling all that has been built up by man, a man-made religion that put the focus on the wrong things. And Jesus enters to the culture, the time, and the period to set everything straight. And so he first goes uh, to uh, Cana, where he uh, has a miracle turning water into wine. We're going to talk about that a little bit more today because he's returning to that region on his journey. He then leaves that place and he goes to Jerusalem where there is a festival happening, uh, the celebration of Passover, where all the Jews in the region and, and many others from beyond are traveling in to offer up sacrifices. And instead of this becoming a, a sincere, worshipful, prayerful broken-hearted experience between God's people and God the Father, 
it's become more of a, an exchange of how can I get this done quickly, cheap, cheaply, and get on about my life. Uh, coming, I'm, I paid my temple tax. Uh, I didn't bring a sheep, but I'll buy that one. It's cheap. There you go. Sacrifice it. See you later. And Jesus walks into the system and says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. You, you've, you've missed the point. And he flips over the tables. He, he, he lets the animals go. And, and he says, this is all wrong. And they're like, by what authority are you doing this? Show us a sign that you have the power and the right to be doing and speaking these things. And he says, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, it took 46 years. What are you talking about? There's no way you could do that. But he was telling them, it's not about this man-made stone temple. It's about me, God in flesh. I am the temple. And kill me, which they will do. Jesus will lay down his life. And three days later, he will rise again. So he later then has a conversation in John chapter 3 with one of the religious elite of the day, a guy named Nicodemus. And we're going to see Nicodemus again in a couple weeks in chapter 7. Uh, we see this exchange with Nicodemus between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, I can see that you're, there's something different about you. You teach as if you've got authority. And um, so I have to ask, you know, I know you're from God because the things we've seen you do, but how do I get to the kingdom of heaven? And he says, you must be born again. And this guy's like, what do you mean? I'm a grown man. How am I supposed to crawl back to my mother's womb? Again, spiritual blindness over and over again. People just not getting what Jesus is speaking about. So this man leaves. And I believe that night, that conversation began to begin the Holy Spirit seed in his life. We're going to see Nicodemus defend Jesus. Uh, Jesus is about to be arrested in John chapter 7. And Nicodemus is like, are we sure? We're doing the right thing here. Did he really do anything wrong? And then later, at the end of Jesus' life, when he goes to the cross, Nicodemus will show up to help bury the body of Jesus. So we'll we'll revisit that when we get there. So Jesus goes from Nicodemus, uh, an honorable meeting, where many people would look at that situation and say, yeah, that's great. He's meeting with one of the chief religious officials of our time. And he leaves Jerusalem, that meeting with that man, and he goes to, of all places, a place called Samaria, a place that most people avoid. They walk miles and miles around just to avoid this place. Uh, They are the people from the other side of the tracks. Uh, They are rejected. They're looked as half-breeds. They have worshipped false idols. They have intermarried with other cultures. They are disgusting. They're not welcome in Jerusalem. And so Jesus goes to Samaria. He brings his disciples with him. I'm sure they're wondering, you know, there's a path often traveled. Why are we going this way? But Jesus goes there and he goes from speaking with this high official to this lowly Samaritan woman. And even she's like, why are you a Jew talking to me, a Samaritan, and a woman for that matter? And in a matter of a few conversations, he changes her life forever. He speaks life into her brokenness. She's there at noon to avoid crowds. She's been married five times. The man she's with now is not her husband. And Jesus reads her mail and offers her new life. Her life is forever changed. She runs into town having this encounter with Jesus. She came to get water and she leaves with a well. A well springing forth to give other people living water. She runs into town. Let me tell you about this man I just talked to. I I think he's the Messiah. He told me everything I ever did. He changed my life. And all these people are like, could this be? And they run and they go to him and they say to him, 
Jesus, can you stay here a couple more days? We want to learn more from you. And as a result of Jesus staying, they say to the woman, we don't only believe that he is the Messiah because of what you've said and what he did for you, but we heard him, and now we believe that he is the Savior of the world. These rejected half-breeds accepting Jesus as the Savior. In John chapter 1, it says, Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. But to whoever who would receive him and believe in his name, he would give the right to become children of God. And so now we're going to see an encounter today back in Jesus' hometown and an official, somebody, again, not of Jesus' own people, is going to possibly have his own eyes open to the Savior. So let's dive in and see what happens. After two days being in Samaria, Jesus departed for Galilee, the area where he was from. Now catch, there's some there's some twist curveballs here that need some explaining. So we're going to visit them a little longer. After two days in Samaria, where he was successful, uh, item of note, he performed no miracles there. He simply spoke words of life. He departs for Galilee, verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Just put that, those words together, and it may sound a little confusing. He's here in, in Samaria. Things go well. He decides to go to Galilee, and he says, I'm going there because a prophet is not welcomed there. And so they welcome him. Does that seem weird? There's, there's got to be something here. Things aren't weird without a reason in the Bible. And so when Jesus arrives on scene and he comes to those people in Galilee, his own people, the Galileans welcome him. And look at the very next words. Why do they welcome him? They welcome him having seen all that he had done. In Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So here's what's happening. The welcoming that we're seeing is not like you and I might think. The welcoming that's happening is they've heard the guy who somehow turned water into wine is back in town. They've heard that the guy who had the audacity to walk into the temple and flip over tables and speak with authority is now here. They are welcoming the next latest and greatest entertaining show. They are welcoming him because they're wanting to see what's he going to do next? What kind of headlines are going to be written tomorrow? This guy is a little out there. I I, I used to love, um, I hate that I have to say used to. Um, When my girls were little, um, we used to go to magic stores. We would be walking around places like Broadway at the beach or Barefoot Landing down in Myrtle Beach. And whenever we'd walk by the magic store, uh, one of them would, usually it was Lexi, who would say, Dad, let's go in and see a magic magic trick. And so we'd go in and, and they'd show us cool tricks. That's what's happening here. The Galileans are not looking for a savior. They're not looking to put their belief in someone who will set them free spiritually. They're looking for a sideshow. 
they're looking for the next latest and greatest act. What's he going to do? And in a minute, Jesus is going to call them out for this very thing. Let's take a look and see what happens. So he arrives in the area, verse 46. He came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And he continues traveling. And once he gets to Capernaum, there's an official who shows up whose son is ill. So he travels through Cana. There's this official. Who's this official? The word there can be translated royal one or one connected to the king. This official has heard that Jesus is in town. And there are some welcoming him because they want the next magic trick, the next sideshow. But this man comes with a different motive, a different intent. Right away we see that he's got a son who's ill. How sick? He's near death, the text goes on to tell us. This official, a royal one, one connected to a king. There's only one king in that area, and he, that king is Herod. Herod will be known as the one who ends up decapitating John the Baptist as a birthday present. And he is the one who uh, marries his brother's wife. Did I say that right? Um, he's a bad guy. Uh, he's not Jewish. He's, he's a, 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 an official of the government and uh, the Roman Empire. And this official, many believe, is connected to that rule. This man had probably heard rumblings of Jesus' wedding miracle and had probably heard rumblings of what had happened down in Jerusalem at the temple. You know, nobody shows up in the temple and flips over tables without the Roman guard hearing about it. And I'm sure news has traveled, and somehow this official has heard about this guy, and he comes in desperation. He's probably done all he can. He's visited whatever physicians may have existed, lived in his town. He's maybe prayed to his own uh, gods of, of his culture, and his son is dying. And so he has nothing else to do, and out of desperation... He goes 20 miles from where, he's, where his son is, where he's living, and he travels to Jesus' hometown, a town called Capernaum, where he hears Jesus is there, and he goes to find him. When the man heard that Jesus had come to Judea of Galilee, he went to him and asked him, Come down and heal my son, for he is at the point of death. Another strange exchange happens with, with Jesus, which again is something to draw us into what's happening. Verse 48, so Jesus said to him, so this man comes up, Jesus is speaking to the man, the individual, and he says, unless you, now in the English language, there's a lot of words for you. There's you, there's y'all, there's you all, there's yous, there's, a, there's many. In the original context here, this is plural. This is Jesus saying, unless y'all, all of you. Jesus says to him, but he's not speaking to the man alone. He's speaking to the onlookers, those who are wanting to see the next magic trick. Those who are not there to welcome their savior, their king, but the next latest and greatest show. Unless you all see signs and wonders, 
you all will not believe. But the official ignores, I don't care what you're saying to everybody else, my son is dying. The official persists and he says to Jesus, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus says to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke and went on his way. So here's what's going on. We have a crowd that is wanting to worship the things that Jesus does, but not wanting to worship him, the person who can give life. And we have an official, somebody of most likely the court of Herod, not a Jew, coming and believing this man can somehow bring healing to his son. Not looking for a show, but crying out in desperation. Unfortunately, we have a lot of churches that are filled with a lot of people who are just waiting for the next latest and greatest show. In our culture, it's very popular to be spiritual. You can go into almost any bookstore and see aisles after aisles on spirituality. We have a lot of people wanting to Uh, have their fortunes told, wanting to see their future in the stars, wanting to study mysticism, all the while missing the creator of the world, the creator of you as an individual, missing Jesus. And this is what we have going on. We have the Galileans wanting the next show, the next miracle, and not seeing Jesus for who he is. The Samaritans saw it. We believe that he is the savior of the world and his own people are failing to see it. You know, this isn't the first time this happened. In chapter two, we see that uh, Jesus, let me just read it for you from John chapter two, verse 23. Now, when Jesus was in Jerusalem at Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Wow, look at that guy. Nobody can do this. This is amazing. But Jesus, on his heart, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew what was in their hearts. Even Jesus' own family, his brothers, did not believe in him as Savior. In John chapter 7, which we'll get to in a few weeks, his brothers are seeing, wow, Jesus, you can do some awesome stuff. Where did this, where did this come from? And so they, they, they urged Jesus, go out and, hey, become the star. We, we need some income. Go, go sign up for America's Got Talent. We need a, you to be famous. So his brother said to him, leave here and go out to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his own brothers believed in the book of James, written by the biological brother of Jesus. James did not even believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after he died on the cross and rose again. 
there were many who saw Jesus and did not see Jesus. That's why over and over again, the scriptures say, he who has eyes, let him see. He who has ears, let him hear. Not everyone who sees, sees. Not everyone who listens, hears. The Savior of the world was standing right before them, and all they wanted was a magic show. This official shows up, seeing Christ differently. He says, go. He says, come. He begs again. He persists. Come down. Heal my son before he dies. And Jesus, in a way that only he can, 20 miles away, Jesus sees this man. He just rebuked him. He just rebuked the crowd. All you want is signs and wonders. Is that the only way you're going to believe? So many times that's us. We want that sign. We want that wonder. And if I were Jesus, if I were God, I would teach them a lesson and say, I'm not showing you any today. But thank God we have a God of grace. Amen? That even when we want what we want for selfish motives, sometimes he blesses anyway. And so Jesus, he rebukes, but then he blesses. And he blesses over and above. He could have easily said, okay, I'll come with you. Let's go. I don't want to be around these people anyway. But he doesn't say that. He says, go. Your son will live. And whether, whether it was 20 miles or 20 million miles or 20 billion trillion miles, it doesn't matter. Nothing can stop the power of God. And in a moment, in a word, Jesus speaks life. This man leaves believing. I believe it's at that very moment that the transformational power of the Holy Spirit starts to get a hold of this man's life. The man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, at what hour did did my son begin to get better? And they said to him yesterday at the seventh hour, which would have been about one in the afternoon. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed. He left believing this word confirmed and brought nourishment to the belief that was growing inside of him. And he believed, and not only did he believe, what what we don't always see in scriptures is the full story. John actually tells us, the things I've written, I've written so you will believe. There is so much more I could have written. If I wrote everything, there's no way all the journals in the world could contain all the marvelous works of Jesus. What we don't see here, I believe, is the telling of the story. This man believed, and then it says, and all of his household. I believe what happened was he shows up, I don't know what uh, we need to tell you. We don't know why, but, but your son's getting better. Wait, wait, wait. At what time did he start to get better? Well, it was yesterday at about one. I knew it. That was the very time that Jesus said, go, your son will live. I have to tell you about this guy I just met. 
and the whole household. Being an official, he must have had servants. He probably had children. There were probably guards assigned to his household. The numbers of people that may have heard that story. And they believed. They believed. This was now the second sign. John, remember we told, we brought this up before. John, John purposefully calls miracles signs. Miracles are there to be odd. They're like magic tricks. Look at that magic trick. Look at that miracle. But a sign is not for you to stare at the sign. Nobody goes up to a sign and says, this is the sign that leads to Disney World. We've made it. A sign points you to your destination. This is the second sign along the journey of pointing people to Jesus, the Savior of the world. So let's wrap this up. A few notes. I want to make sure I covered all the good nuggets that I got from Brandy. She always gives me the best stuff. It's so awesome to see the Father persisting in the same way we have a spiritual father that's going to continue to seek us. No matter how many times we say no, or how many times we try to walk away, we have a God that will never give up, who loves you and will always love you. And even though you and I do the stupidest of things, even though we can many times be a people who just want signs and wonders, he will bless us still. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. We see that here in the story. Jesus is here to heal. We see two healings. We see the healing of the son and his physical illness, and we see the healing of a lost, sinful, broken heart made new by putting faith in Jesus. There's one. There's a good one, right? We also see John, the writer, make a point. Even though it's a small part of the story, we see John, the writer, make a point to point out the divine timing of this. The reading could have easily said, as the man got home, the servants met him, and they said, your son is somehow better. And and they all rejoiced the end of the story. But John, the writer, makes a point of saying that the man was wondered, at what time? What time did this happen? Well, it was at about one. That's when Jesus said it. There's been so many times in my past where I've heard that kind of talk and just thought, God is awesome, but that's just coincidence. Any of you have ever been there? Shame on us for not allowing ourselves to see God supernaturally working. I've heard stories of you know, my car broke down and all of a sudden it started working and they're telling a story and, and, and they've got coworkers. Well, we were having lunch and we just thought we'd pray for you. Really? What time did you pray for me? Well, it was, I said it was around lunch. Well, that's when I broke down. Wow, your prayer caused my car. Uh, that's just a little weird. That must be coincidence. Shame on us for not seeing the supernatural power of God that is not just written in the Bible. It exists here and now today. Shame on us for trying to try to explain 
the handiwork, the power of God away. I grew up in a very traditional, non-miracle believing type of church that tried to often, yes, we worship a God who did miracles a long time ago. We were a part of a church as staff a number of years back. Those of you that were a part of it, Christ our Lord Church, it was one of the first churches we ever attended where people believed that openly. And, and a part of every week at service, there would be this time, prayers to the people, where people would pray for their loved ones, those who are lost, those who are broken, those who needed healing. Our daughter, Bailey, born with a birth injury, we were unsure if she'd ever walk or talk or, or speak, diagnosed with cerebral palsy. There, week after week, holding her as a baby, worshiping the Father, praying that God would bring healing, And every week people would come and lay their hands on her and pray over her and lift her up. We remember the day we brought Bailey and we got to share with the people that she took her very first steps and applause erupted throughout the room. There was power of prayer. There's power in the healing miracles of Jesus. And it's for today as much as it was back then. Why don't we believe that? Oh, yeah, we believe it will happen on the mission field somewhere. Those weird, crazy things happen on other countries. But they're meant to happen right here, right now. About a year ago, are any of the Gleasons here? Ella, Jack, Lori, they're teaching right now. Ella, one of our teenagers, had to undergo a surgery. She had developed scoliosis. And uh, it, they were trying to correct it over the years with braces. And finally, they just, they just determined this needed surgery. But there were a lot of risks with spinal surgery, especially what they were going to do for her. And one of the risks was paralyzation. And so they, 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 she goes through this long procedure. And Gary and I are there most of the day along with a few others, and we're praying and She's finished with surgery. They bring her to recovery. She's there for a while. She starts to wake up. And any minute we think we're going to get, you know, great news and go and be able to give Ella a care package and pray with her and be on our way. And uh, Lori comes in the room and she's crying. And she just says, pray. She's crying and we, we hug her and we start praying. And she says she, she can't move her legs. So we ask if we can go over to the room and pray. And we get there, and there are doctors and specialists there, and they're doing, you know, reflex tests, and they're touching her feet, and, and, and there's just no response. They're talking amongst themselves, and there's no answers. Jack, her dad, is in the corner. He's got his head down. I can tell he's just devastated. Lori's crying. Ella's in the bed, she's fully aware, and in my heart, I'm just, my heart's breaking for her. How can this be happening? So Gary and I, we just get on our knees and we begin praying. And while we're praying and asking God to do what only he can do, all of a sudden our prayers are rudely interrupted. 
by her dad, he starts hooting and hollering. And Jack can be a little weird sometimes. So I look up and he's, and he's pointing. And Ella's wiggling her toes. And we just keep praying. And all of a sudden I feel this hand on my back. I turn around and it's the doctor. And he says, keep praying. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us here and now today. And how dare we try to explain it away? On one hand, we have a group of people that do not want to believe in Jesus as Savior. They just want someone who can perform a show for them. Man, this guy is our best friend. Wine will never run out with him. We've got an unbelieving man who walks in out of desperation and is healed forever. He and his household. Why do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is truly your Savior, the Savior of your world? Do you believe that he has come to save those who have not yet heard who he is? Are we living that way? Not just looking for signs and wonders, not just leaving church saying, you know, that worship service was kind of dull and boring today. Are we here to draw closer to the Savior of the world who's here to heal us when he decides it's in his will? He's here to sustain us and to work miracles through our suffering. He's here to reach the hearts of all who do not yet know and believe in him. And we have the invitation to be the storytellers in the stories today. Signs always point in a direction. These signs were written and recorded so that we might be pointed to Jesus and believe in him. Let's pray. Father God, may we never forget the reason why you came. May we never stop believing the same power that you demonstrated when you were here physically on earth is still available to transform us, to save us. And that through our telling of the stories of you working in our life, we will see many come to know you as Savior. So Lord, show us. Show us how our faith you want it to grow deeper. Help us to not just lean on emotionalism or on things that fade, but on the substance of who you are, on the substance of what your word is. The man believed in the word that was spoken. The woman believed in the word that was shared. The people said, we believe because of the word that he shared. Help us become people that know your word 
the truth of your word, that are transformed by your word. Your word is living. Help us to walk in it so that we can be the equipped saints, sent ones, ambassadors you've called us to be, to take these stories, the stories written in these words, the stories written on our hearts, and share them with those you've placed around us so that they will come to know you as Savior and Lord. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, maybe you know Jesus as a religious figure, a good teacher, but he didn't come to be a religious figure or a good teacher. He came to be our Lord, our Savior. If you have never called out to him and said, Jesus, I surrender all. Come into my life. Take over. Make me yours. Help me to be the person you want me to be. Then do it now. Put your belief in him, not just in the things he can do. Call out to him here and now. Here this morning, you say, Pastor John, that is my heart. That's my prayer today. I want to invite him in who he is fully in my life, not just in the things he does. I need him as my Savior and my Lord. Would you just raise your hand as I lift up a prayer for you? Father God, I pray for all those in the room right now who are putting their belief in you, possibly for the first time, as their Savior and their Lord that you would help us to put our belief in you and you would help us to keep believing and that you would help us to keep seeking and you would help us to become children of your word, children that follow after you. Make us new. Thank you for dying on a cross for us and making forgiveness possible. We admit that we are sinners and in need of your forgiveness. Thank you for shedding your blood so that we can be forgiven come into our life. Holy Spirit, come, have your home within us and begin to transform us. And right now I pray for those of you in this room who know Jesus as your Savior. But you're not telling the story. You're not being that ambassador that Christ has called you to be. Everywhere you eat, sleep, play, study, and shop. Everywhere you go, bringing the hope that is found only pray that God would open up your eyes to see the people that he has placed around you to see them the way that he sees them. And you would allow yourself to be used to reach them. Father God, move through us. Help us to be your faithful servants as we follow after you. In your name we pray.